Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good morning, everyone. It is Wednesday, August the 16th, 2023. It is currently 1054 a.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. So how long have you been a Christian? How long? Has it been five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 25, 30? How long have you been a Christian? Now, I want you to really, really, really consider the next part. So for the first part is just simple. It's just, you know, figuring out, say, I think I became a Christian on this date. Today is August the 16th, 2023. That is, you do the calculation. Boom. It's this many years, right? So how long have you been a Christian? Now, I need you to honestly ask yourself, in all of that time and being a Christian, do you think you have grown significantly as a Christian. How godly do you think you really are? And does it seem to match how long you've been a Christian? Now, there may be some external things. All right. Someone says 25 years in chat, 25 years. That's a long time. So I want, so I, I want you to consider how long and then look at your life. Look at your, the way you think, you feel, your desires and just ask yourself, being saved that long, do you feel you're where you're supposed to be as a Christian after all of that time? And if not, why not? Because that really gets to the kind of the heart of what we are talking about in this series. We are talking about what we refer to as the doctrine of sanctification, this idea of being set apart. And many Christians, whenever we talk about sanctification, now in different theological traditions, they have different emphasis and different perspectives on this subject. But for the most part, most Christians uh, today, especially in kind of just the evangelical church, the, the non-Catholic world, we really focus on this kind of practical sanctification where I'm supposed to be becoming more and more godly every single day. I'm becoming more and more set apart from the world unto God. We know the right language. We know what to say about it. But I think if you really sit back and look at your life sometime and go, man, I've been saved this long, you would think that I would be to a, you know, that basically I wouldn't be struggling with sin in any way, shape, or you think you would almost be, I'm not saying perfect, but you would think you would be much, much further along. And if you're not, why not? What, 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 what's holding you back? What is the issue? Because Christians do this weird thing. I think, I think there's, it's almost double speak. Sometimes it, it can drive you mad because on one hand are like, God will sanctify you. God is doing the work in you. God is doing it. God is doing it. And then of course, any reasonable person, well, if God is doing it and if God's sanctifying me and it's the work of God, you would think, well, then why haven't I reached perfection? And then any lack of sanctification in you, then do you blame God? <laughs> because you're, and, and then sometimes when we talk about sanctification, it's like, you need to do this and you need to do this and you need to do this. And the emphasis seems to be on what you do. And then you're like, okay, well, so if I try harder, I can get there. I'm like, no, 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 no. It's relying on God. So if I rely on God, then, and then, and sometimes, I, I don't know, at least for me, it seems to be double speak. It seems to be, 
really almost double-minded, almost like almost like schizophrenic sometimes. And sometimes you're just like, I don't understand. So we're trying our best to understand the doctrine of sanctification, but we're doing so in a very, in the typical theology central way. We're just not like, oh, here's the typical lessons on sanctification. And you teach them where you've heard the same thing over and over and over. We're just pursuing it where you, we're going to, this is, this is one of those series. There's no end date. I don't know. We're just going to be working on sanctification whenever, whenever I want to talk about sanctification. This is where those episodes will be put. They will be in this series. And uh, because, because I think it's an, it's a never ending topic. And I think people are always struggling with it. Now we are utilizing. The Bible Studies for Life Adult Personal Study Guide Summer 2023, because the second part of this study guide is all about set apart a life lived for God, and it's about the doctrine of sanctification. So we are, are we are utilizing that. We are we have also used, I'm not saying it's a, a, a perfect definition, but kind of a starting place. We've been using this kind of definition. All right, here we go. Sanctification or in its verbal form, sanctify, literally means to set apart for special use or purpose, that is, to make holy or sacred. Therefore, sanctification refers to the state or process of being set apart, being made holy. So if you've been saved for 25 years... In theory, for 25 years, you've been in the process of being sanctified. If you've been saved for 10 years, you've been in process for 10 years and being set apart and being made holy. It's like one of those things where you start have to at least asking the question, well then, because I, to me, at least, this is just my own feelings. As a young Christian, I, I, I measured sanctification very much by certain external things. I don't do this. I don't go here. I don't use those. I don't use those words anymore. Blah, 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 blah. And I, and I really focused on the external and I was like, look at me. I'm being sanctified. I'm growing. But then at some point I had to start realizing, man, I'm still way, way messed up maybe on the inside. Maybe, maybe, and maybe I'm doing certain, maybe there's things I'm not doing externally in the, in the sight of other people, but in private, and I'm not so sure this is all. And so I started calling into question, I don't know if this is really, what is really going on here? So I have always struggled with this subject in some way, shape, or form. Now, let me remind you of something though. Very important concept. When it comes to sanctification, I want to remind you of kind of three aspects here, right? Three, and I really want you to get this. There is what I will call the positional sanctification. In Christ, Christ is your sanctification. You have been set apart in Christ. And you can think about that positional sanctification. In some ways, you were set apart before the foundations of the world because God chose, elected a people. And if you are saved, you were then chosen by God before the foundations of the world. So in that sense, you were already set apart 
an eternity. You could call that an eter- the eternal past, the eternity past sanctification. But I'm focusing more on your positional sanctification. As a Christian, Christ is your sanctification. You are completely sanctified. You are set apart. You are in Christ. You are a new creature in Christ. This is your position. Old is gone. Everything is new. You're perfect. You're holy. You're righteous. You are obedience. That you are 100% sanctified, done, completed act in Christ. All right? Christ is your sanctification. We talked about that in 1 Corinthians, is it chapter 1, I believe, verse 30, is uh, verse 30 and 31. And therefore, there's no reason for you to boast or glory. You're 100% sanctified, but it's because Christ, Christ is your righteousness. Christ is your redemption. Christ is your wisdom. Christ is your sanctification. You cannot forget that positional aspect of this. And I'm going to repeat that a million times, even if you say you've already taught this. I'm going to teach it again. Because so many times we look so much at the, the, there's the, there's the positional, there's the in Christ. Then there's the practical. We spend so much of our time looking at the practical. And if you're even remotely honest with yourself, you're like, I fall short. I fall short. I fall short. You're depressed. You're discouraged. And you're like, this doesn't work. And I think it leads a lot of people to start deconstructing because they start questioning the truthfulness of Christianity. We should care about the, the practical uh, sanctification. But w- what we have to do is retreat back constantly to the positional going, okay, I know what I should be, I'm not, but in Christ I am sanctified. And then, of course, we have hope for the, the future, the, the eternal sanctification when we're finally set apart unto God for eternity. We, uh, the sin nature is removed. We get a new body, no more pain, no more suffering, no more death, new heaven, new earth. That's the eternal sanctification that, and that, and we know that's a guarantee. And it's a guarantee because of our justification, which is not based off what we do. And this is also very important because a lot of times people say your sanctification is used to prove your justification. I think that's a horrible teaching, especially because they make you look at your practical sanctification to prove your justification, which means they don't believe you're justified by an imputed righteousness and it destroys the gospel. But whenever people say that, I'm like, okay, fine. Say my sanctification proves my justification. Then I'm gonna put, I'm gonna look to my positional sanctification because in Christ I'm perfectly sanctified. So if you're gonna use sanctification to prove my justification, then use my positional sanctification because it's perfect, it's complete, and it's done because I'm in Christ. But so I think you've got to have that positional part down. But the practical part we have to care about. And exactly how does it work? Everyone has their theories and we're trying to figure it out in this series. And I'm sorry I took 10 minutes to go back through that, but I, if I have to repeat it a hundred times, it's so important because people forget the positional aspect of this and they only want to focus on the practical and then they want to use the practical to judge someone's justification, which is an, which is a complete annihilation of a gospel by grace. And you cannot allow that to happen. If you're going to use my sanctification to judge my justification, then I'm going to use my my positional sanctification to do so because in Christ, it is perfect. Now, in our last episode, we looked at Psalm 99 verses one through nine. And what we focused on there is the holiness of God. Whenever you talk about sanctification, you need a standard, right? 
You have to have an altar because if you look at sanctification by looking at comparing your life to other people, you'll always feel more sanctified. You always have to look at your life and lay it next to the law of God, to the holiness of God. And you will then constantly see, woe is me. I am undone. And you will see how far you actually fall short in being sanctified. I mean, if you would look at your life every single day and compare it to the absolute perfection and holiness of God, you are going to be like, I'm, I'm finished. I'm undone. And we need to constantly see the holiness of God. We need to have awe and respect for it. It should move godly fear within us. And it should, it, it, we should move, to, we should be motivated to be moved to seek and pursue holiness, but it keeps us humble. See, if you don't look at your, if you don't constantly compare your life to God, to, to the holiness of God, you'll start becoming self-righteous, judgmental, and condemning. But the minute you stop looking at everyone else and you look to God, guess what you'll see? You'll stop seeing everyone else and you'll see yourself and you'll be like, woe is me, I am undone. So we have to keep... The, the holiness of God, Psalm 99 is our starting point because it lays the foundation. What, however you're going to look at sanctification, you have to first see the holiness of God. And then you know what you're going to see? You're going to see how far you are from it. And that will keep you humble. And then guess what it'll drive you to? Back to the imputed righteousness. Back to your positional standing. And that's where you always need to find your most comfort and confidence is in your positional standing. But then it should motivate you. Now, from Psalm 99 today, it's very simple, very straightforward. Not very simple and very straightforward. But we're going to go to the book of Romans chapter 6. Now, remember, I'm using the study guide for these first initial messages. We're going to be using this and and. We're just going to follow their train of thought because guess what? It's going to present probably a view of sanctification that I'm going to greatly challenge, but it benefits you from hearing different perspectives. They want us, so I'm going to do this. I'm going to just read it as they have it, and we're going to challenge us. Now, remember, the positional and the practical. Do not forget those two aspects, positional and practical. Most Christians, when they talk about sanctification, view the practical aspect of it, all right? And I think this is where a lot of things go horribly wrong. Okay, now, session two in this study guide is called Set Apart by Christ. All right, we're set apart by Christ. Now, is that practically or is that positionally? Which is it? That's that's what we're going to think, all right? Then here's the point. This is on page 76. They have the point. And underneath this, this is at the very top of the page. In Christ, we are dead to sin, but alive to God. In Christ, we are dead to sin, but alive to God. Now, most, if you should ask your pastor, you should ask your pastor, in Christ, uh, pastor, do you agree that in Christ we are dead to sin, but alive to God? And most likely the pastor is going to be like, amen, brother. Amen, sister. That is so true. And you're like, okay, so in Christ, I'm dead to sin, but alive to God. Are you saying that is true in my everyday life, that I'm dead to sin, I'm alive to God, meaning I can say no to sin and I can say yes to God. And I bet you 99% of you listening, if you ask your pastor that, he'll be like, absolutely. You can say no to sin and you can say yes to God. 
And of course, the most, the obvious next question is, so you're telling me that everyone here can be perfect. And then it'll be like, no, 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 no. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying, well, look, if I'm dead to sin and alive to God, then obviously sinful, sinless perfection is not only possible, it's probable. You should really ask that question. And you may not like the answer you're going to get. To me, when I hear the words in Christ, I'm dead to sin and alive to God. That is not speaking of the truth of me practically. That is speaking of the truth of me positionally, because that's what I am in Christ. In Christ, I'm holy. In Christ, I'm obedient. In Christ, I'm a new creature. The old is gone. In Christ, I'm dead to sin. In Christ, I'm alive to God. In Christ, I'm sanctified. In Christ, I'm justified. In practical life, I'm a sinner with a sinful nature. I say no to God and yes to sin. We fall short all the time. I am not a new creature with the old is gone and everything is new because I still have an, a sinful nature. In practice, it's no... Practice and position are nowhere even close to the same thing. And too many times I think Christians take the truth of what we are in Christ and try to act like it's true in practice. You cannot confuse and confound the positional and the practical. So when I read this, in Christ we're dead to sin but alive to God, I'm like, amen, Thank you, Christ, that in you, I am truly dead to sin and I'm truly alive to God. In you, that is true. But Lord, I hope you know that in practice, I am so very alive to sin. And at times I feel like I'm so very dead to God. Just take that quote, in Christ, we're dead to sin, but alive to God, and ask all your Christian friends what they think that means. Ask them. Come on, come on. I dare you. I double dog dare you. And then tell me what you get. Just start calling Christians that you know, Christians in your family, Christians on social media. Ask them. I guarantee they're going to they're gonna look at it from a practical. They're not going to look at it from a positional. They're going to go full-blown practical. I, 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 I look, if I'm wrong, I'll be the first to admit it. You can let me know. No, I asked 50 people and they're all like, no, that's true positional. It has nothing to do about practical. I think you're going to get different uh, answers, all right? But let's 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 see what they have here. They got a section called "The Bible Meets Life." All right, let's see what they're going to say here. All right, let's see what which direction. Let's take bets. Let's take bets. Let's take bets. If the point of this study is that in Christ we're dead to sin but alive to God, if that's the point of this study, how many think they're going to focus on our pos- the positional reality, or they're going to say that's the practical reality? Come on, what do you think? Put in your bets now. Whoever gets it right wins $5,000. I'm joking, I'm joking. You don't win anything. But come on, you, if you're listening, feel free to jump into the chat and tell me. What do you think? Are they going to go positional or practical? Which which direction do you think they're going to go? Which one? Come on, positional or practical? If, if Nobody's going to answer, okay. But you, you can tell me. I know there's like a two-minute delay, all right? Someone says practical, all right? Someone says practical. Uh, oh, positional that leads to practical. Look at someone hedging their bets. Look at that. Someone, someone's obviously an expert. They're, they're expert in gambling. They probably spent a lot of time in Vegas. He's hedging that bet. 
positional that leads to practical. They're going to do both. You know what? There's problem. There may be a little bit of truth to that. There may be a little bit of truth to that. We'll see. And how does that work? Does the positional lead to the practical? Oh, that raises a whole different question. Well, let's see. You ready? Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Going viral is a common term these days for something shared on the internet or social media that is passed around and shared quickly among people. While it may be a piece of news, a fad, or something humorous, most things that go viral on the internet are harmless and pass as quickly as they came. When it comes to our health and our bodies, things that go viral can be deadly. For example, in the mid uh, 1300s, when a dozen merchant ships arrived in the port of Sicily, they were found to be carrying the dead, uh, carrying the dead and dying bodies of plague-ridden sailors. So contagious was the great pestilence that infections became instantly, instantly uncontrollable. Now, in 2023, we'd be like, no, no, it's fake. Okay, but all right, I, I, I digress. As people are unwittingly infected and traveled onward, they took the plague with them. Within five years, one third of Europe would die from the disease. And it's just crazy, 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 crazy. When I, I, I and my own personal life, I, I have always loved studying plagues and and how they spread and and these you know whether it's the spanish flu or any any of these i've always been fascinated by how fast that they can spread and how many people can die and uh well they they, it always yeah it's man it's it's crazy but what why are they talking about this well here we go here's the paragraph here's their their transitional paragraph like the plague sin ravages people's lives. Though God provides a divine remedy to sin, most people are unaware of how it works. Now, ooh, stop right here, stop here, stop right here, stop right here. Does sin ravage our lives? Everybody can say amen, right? Sin brings about pain. It brings about suffering. It brings about shame. It brings about death. It destroys everything. Churches, relationships. It can destroy. Sin does ravage our lives. We can all agree with that. God has a remedy, a divine remedy. Do we believe there's a divine remedy? I think most Christians would be, yeah, would say yes. Now here's the question. What is that divine remedy? Is that divine remedy is to save us by an imputed righteousness, not an infused. And the remedy is really the position we have in Christ due to grace alone, faith alone, because of Christ alone. Or is the divine remedy is you or your life is being torn apart by the plague of sin. And then Christ comes along and dun, 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 and powers you. So you stop sinning. In other words, is the remedy positional or is the remedy practical? Some are going to say both, but is it really both? Let's see what they say. Here we go. It says the problem is most people are unaware of how it works. In this session, we'll learn how to live out the truth 
that in Christ, we have victory over sin and death. Oh boy. In Christ, you have victory over sin and death. In Christ. Now, again, is that positional? Or is that practical? Now, they're saying you're going to learn how to live it out. Hey, you have victory over sin. Now, if they're saying you have victory over sin positionally, and now you can live it out practically, what does it mean to have victory over sin practically? Now, what many Christians say is victory over sin does not mean perfection. Well, wait a minute. That doesn't sound like victory over sin. <laughs> hey, you, you're not, you can't reach perfection. But let me tell you, you have victory over sin. Not if I continue to sin and if I cannot get to perfection. That doesn't sound like victory. That sounds like enslavement. So when you, when someone says, ask, again, once again, I love, I love challenging people to talk to other Christians and ask them, Hey, can I have victory over sin? And then, and then they'll say, Amen, absolutely. By the power of the Holy Spirit, with God, all things are possible. You can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth you. You can do it. Okay. Can I be perfect? Well, no, 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 no. Well, wait a minute. You just said I can have victory over it. Well, that doesn't mean you can be perfect. That sounds like defeat. Well, I mean, you can have victory over this. You can have victory over specific sins. But if I have victory over three sins, but I'm still sinning, is that victory over sin? If I have victory over the external part, but internally, I'm still filled with lust and covetousness and bitterness and jealousy and wrath. What good is the outward? I, from a theological perspective, from a practical perspective, it may have great benefits to avoid it from outwardly. Okay. It may have great benefits practically. I'm saying still logically before God, I'm still sinning. So do, is that victory or not victory? Right, I'm going to turn the page. What does the Bible say? Are you ready for this? Last week or the last time we were together was Psalm 99, right? I always say last week. Well, I'm on the air like 15 times a day. So the five hours ago, whenever the last broadcast was where we talked about this, they said what the Bible says. So last time was Psalm 99. And I still want you to just memorize and meditate and think about, hey, there's the standard. Okay, all right. Now, they're telling I can have victory over sin. Now, if I, if I remember the holiness of God, Victory over sin would mean I would have to meet that standard, meaning I'm never going to do so. But I do so positionally. So what are they going to say? They want me to look at Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Here we go. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Now I'm going to read the next verse. Yeah, they have the next verse. For he that is dead is freed from sin. You, you, you may read that one more time. You may read it one more time. 
And we read it one more time. Romans 6, start, verse 5. For we have, for if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. The way they have it translated in the study guide is this. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we're no longer enslaved to sin. Since a person who has died is freed from sin. Now, anyone reading that would immediately go, wait a minute, what does this mean? If the old man is completely crucified and I've been completely set free and the old man is completely rendered powerless, then I'm free. I, I, I can be sinless. And sometimes it's almost preached that way. But then it'll be preached that way. But then all of a sudden, wait for the fine print. Wait for the fine print. Wait for the end of the of the pharmaceutical commercial. Wait, because, you know, they'll say, hey, this medication has, you know, we'll do this and this and this and this and this and this. However, their side effects could be, you know, your cholesterol will be low, but you will die. Okay. <laughs> hey, 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 you're going to get your headaches are going to go away, but you're going to bleed from your eyes and your ears. Okay. Like, you know, sometimes <laughs> the side effects are like, ah, you know, I don't know if those side effects are worth it. Right. So but th- there's always a fine print here. Hey, you, the old man is dead. The old man is powerless. You are free. You, and, but, 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 wait, wait, wait. I mean, you're, you're still going to sin. Well, that doesn't make any sense. So how do we understand this? Now, most Christians are perfectly happy to hear that. Well, I mean, nobody's going to be perfect. We, I mean, they don't ever, they don't seem too conflicted with this, but I've always been conflicted because that seems to lay out to me. Perfection is around the corner. At least it should be there relatively soon. And it never happens. So do I understand this from a positional or practical standpoint? You, you, you want to hear what they have to say? Do you? I know you do. Let's see what they have to say. Let, do you think, are they going to explain this to us in a way that we're going to walk away going, I get it. Are we going to end this session going, I still don't get it. Well, here we go. Everybody wants to be free. No one wants to be enslaved to their passions and the baser instincts of human nature. I do agree. Everybody wants to be free. I want to be free. I want to be so free that I never sin. I want to be so free that I am sinless. I want that to be true. But you know what I find? The things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I keep doing. The desires that I have that I'm like, I cannot have this desire. I keep having them. But I want to be free. Now, typically what is preached in church is, hey, 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 you're struggling with that? Come to Christ and it will be gone. It will be, you'll be set free because if you're in Christ, you will be free indeed. We teach that. And we're very dogmatic about it, especially with certain sins. Have you noticed that? 
oh, you're struggling with same-sex attraction? You're struggling with a sin, a sin of homosexuality? You're struggling with, with maybe struggling with your gender identity and not knowing if you're a male or a female and you're struggling with that? Come to Christ. Boom! Magically! It will be gone! All of a sudden, you're gonna like people of the opposite sex. All of a sudden, everything's gonna be gone. And you won't struggle because it, but, 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 listen to me. If you find yourself still struggling or still engaged in that sin, well, you probably were not saved. That's how it's typically taught. Which is always weird because we don't teach that for everyone. Because then you, the argument would be, well, anyone who comes to Christ, you should never commit any sin ever again. You should never struggle. But we know we all do. So that, I don't know why it, we, 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 we preach it such a way. How free can you be? Now, I want you to hear what I'm about to say. If the minute you acknowledge that you can never be perfect, that you can never be sinless, I'm going to immediately look at you and say, then you're not free. If I cannot be perfect, if I cannot be sinless, that means there's something still controlling me and limiting what I can and cannot do. So am I free? Or am I not free? I'm tired of pastors telling people they're free and then turning around saying, well, you're not free to get to perfection. That's not freedom. And that would clearly indicate the old man is not dead. And that would clearly indicate that the old man is not powerless. Now, in Christ, in my position, I am free, free indeed. Right? The old man is dead. I am completely free from sin because I am perfect and holy in Christ. So is this a positional reality or is this a practical reality? What do you think they're going to take it? Back to the study guide. Everybody wants to be free. No one wants to be enslaved to their passion and the baser instincts of human nature. But each of us has experienced times when we fell short of God's best or in some cases exhibited attitudes or behaviors which are completely unbecoming and unacceptable for a child of God. Now, what cracks me up is when it says each of us has experienced times when we fell short. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever read in my life. Every day you fall short. That's why Psalm 99 is so important. Look to God's standard. It is holy. It is perfect. It is without sin. Every day you fall short of that. You can't come along in the very next study and go, hey, there's sometimes, sometimes, you know, that we, uh, there, there, you know, all of us have experienced times when we fell short, short of God's best. In some cases, we even exhibited attitudes or behaviors which are completely unbecoming and unacceptable for a child of God. Um, all, all the times, right? Like, like, come on, every day, do you not constantly demonstrate attitudes and behaviors and emotions and desires that are completely unbecoming and unacceptable for a child of God. Every single day I do. Every single day it's woe is me. I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, unclean thoughts, unclean hands, unclean heart, unclean everything. You know why? Because I still have a sinful nature. 
And if even if they acknowledge that there are times this happens, well, then that would seem to why is why does it ever show up if the old man is crucified and I'm free? See, this is the kind of double speak that I think leads Christ, many people to deconstruction. Because you're like, well, one minute you're telling me the old man is dead. He's crucified. He's powerless. You can, you're alive to God. You're dead to sin. You're free. And then the five seconds later, you're like, well, hey, hey, come here, come here. Hey, there's going to be times that, you know, you're going to fall short of God's best and you're going to exhibit attitudes and behaviors that are completely unbecoming and acceptable for a child of God. Hey, but you can do it. Look, look what they say. Look, right after they say this. That, that all of us have experienced times when we fell short of God's best or in some cases exhibited attitudes or behaviors that are completely unbecoming and, accept, and unacceptable for a child of God. Look at the very next word. Yet, as believers in whom the spirit of Christ dwells, we are set free from sin's tight grip through a process called sanctification. Wait a minute. Are we set free or are we becoming more and more free? Like, is it a done deal or is it something happening? Have I been set free, but I'm not yet free? Or am I becoming more and more free? And how does you, how do you define freedom that's not completely free? Well, you're free, but you're not completely free. Hey, you're free, but you can't go here, can't do this, can't do that, can't do this, can't do that. Well, wait a minute. That doesn't sound like freedom. Hey, you're free, but you can't be sinless. Then I'm not free. Well, why do Christians have a hard time? Why do it's so weird how Christians just do this double speak thing and nobody ever stops to go, do we make any sense? Like we're so used to speaking Christianese that it all makes sense to us. But let someone from the outside listen to us and they're like, you people are out of your ever-living minds. You don't even make any sense. You're, you're a walking, logical fallacy. Are you free or are you not free? Are you, is the old man dead or is the old man not dead? Now, I think the only way to understand this is, again, position, practice. Positionally, the old man is dead. Positionally, I am a new creature in Christ. The old is gone. All is new. Positionally. Definitely not true practically. For that to be true practically would be the eradication of the old nature. Here we go. Being set apart is the essence and meaning of the term sanctification. The concept of being set apart in Christ is a major theological truth woven throughout the New Testament. Despite the prevalence of this teaching in the New Testament and its importance in the Christian life, sanctification remains one of the least understood aspects of biblical discipleship. The Apostle Paul wanted this truth to be understood. Do you think it remains the most least understood aspect of biblical discipleship? I think it's the least understood because there's so much doublespeak. There's this back and forth, like saying one thing and then contradicting it five seconds. You're free, but you can't be sinless. You're free, but you can't. You're free, but you're going to continue to sin. 
The old man is dead and you're free. But, 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 no, 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 no. It's either it is or it isn't. Now, the only way I think there's a way, and that's why I, I, I mentioned it and I spent 10 minutes in my introduction, is you've got to know the positional versus the practical. I think this is the only way to even come close to, to understanding this. They go on to say this. Now, listen here. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. You ready? Thinking caps on. Thinking caps on. You ready? In Romans 6, Paul taught that believers have been made free from enslavement to sin. Once again, we're back to it. See, Paul, hey, hey, you, there's going to be times where you're going to do these bad things. But just know that in Romans 6, Paul teaches that as a believer... You have been made free from the enslavement of sin. Positionally or practically. If you say practically, then I'm sorry. I don't care how many emails you send me. Logic would dictate then you're saying perfectionism is not only possible, it is probable. Probable. It's problematic, okay? It's, it's, it's probably not going to happen, okay? All right? Um, well, I, someone said least understood because everyone reads it wrong. I, I, I don't know if everyone reads it wrong. I just think that there is, I think there's a, uh, I don't know what causes the problem. I don't know what causes the problem. I think because people aren't willing to ask these tough questions. I think, I think you just taught, okay, I'm free. I'm a new creature. I can do it. And I think very few people, I think there's always the minority of people who start questioning it, going, wait a minute, this is not working. Many of them deconstruct and walk away because they're like, it doesn't work. I think others say, I think others just accept the idea, whether it makes sense or not. Someone in chat just said, Romans 6, 4 says, should walk in newness of life. Does this have any significance? Is there something to the the should part or am I reading something into the verse? Well, very good. Here's what I would tell you to do first and foremost. Look up Romans 6, 4. Look on biblehub.com. Look at every English translation and see if every English translation translates it as should or if they give a different sense. That's where I would tell you to start. We will try to get there, but I don't want to go there now. I don't want to go there now. I don't want to go there now. All right. Now, here we go. Let's read this again. Here we go. You ready? Here we go. Oh, boy, 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 boy. Here we go. All right. In Romans 6, Paul taught that believers have been made free from the enslavement of sin. He based his teaching in the themes, he based his teachings in the themes of death and resurrection. He argued that when Christ bore human sin on the cross physically, believers participated in his death spiritually to become free of sin. Once again, free, 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 free. They yet to define what that freedom means. Freedom means freedom, <laughs> okay? Freedom isn't you're free, but, 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 but you're not really free. Am I free of sin? Am I free? Fr- we know we're not free of sin. They say you're free of sin. No, I'm not. The sinful nature remains in me. As long as I have the sinful nature inside of me, I am not free of it. 
I'm not free from it because it's literally inside of me. So when you say that you're free, you're, you're screaming the eradication of the old nature. You're screaming at it. Do Christians still possess a sinful nature? Then you're not free from it. You're not free of it. It's still literally inside of you. And because the sin nature is still inside of you, what will the sin nature do? It will manifest itself in your thoughts, in your words, in your feelings, in your desires. And ladies and gentlemen, I hate to break it to you, in your actions. That's why sin has been the continuing story of the Christian life for 2,000 years. Just as it was the continuing story of Israel for their entire history. Positionally, in Christ, I'm completely free from it. Practically, I'm not. When Jesus died... God's divine wrath against sin was satisfied once and for all, and Christ secured forgiveness for all who would believe in him. Since then, in a theological sense, the moment any individual repents and places personal faith in Christ, the power of Christ's sacrificial offering is bestowed onto him or her. Now, all of a sudden, wait there. Now, wait, 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 wait. The power of Christ's sacrificial offering is bestowed onto him. Now, what do you mean by power? Are you saying now that when I put my faith in Christ, I get power? Are you saying that I could be, I don't know, infused with something? Because if you're telling me that... We may not be back to Rome yet, but I think we're rounding the corner and I think I see the Vatican because I think we're fast approaching Roman Catholicism. The whole Protestant Reformation was on imputed versus infused. Hang on, but let's continue. Jesus' physical death for sin and temporary spiritual separation from God at Calvary is substituted for ours. Here we go. Next page. Not only have not only are we united with Christ in his death, we also participate in the likeness of his resurrection. Through Christ, though Christ died, he now lives. Having defeated death and sin, the father then revived and restored Jesus and mass, and mass, his, his flesh, right? His flesh into a transformed and glorified body. This literal physical resurrection from death demonstrated the Lord's absolute power over death and authority over the grave. Okay. Right. So far, so good. Now, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Regarding believers. Now he's going to come back to us. Paul explained that our former unredeemed nature has now died in Christ. Oh, boy. 
Is your unredeemed nature now dead? Now, if you say dead in Christ, then you're talking in my positional standing, the old nature is dead. Now, if you're saying that is true practically, then you're saying in your everyday life, you don't have an old nature. And if you don't have an old nature, then you clearly are free. Therefore, you don't have to sin. Therefore, Christians should be perfect. Let's see where they're going to go with this. This means the pre-repentant old self that existed prior to your spiritual conversion and subsequent rebirth has now been crucified. They're saying the old you is completely dead. Is the old you completely dead? Positionally, I agree. Practically, no way. Now, what are are, are they going to say next? At the point of initial salvation, our teeming, that's the word they use, teeming, T-E-E-M-I-N-G, our teeming sin nature was put to death. In this new reality, we are redeemed, set apart from both the penalty and power of sin. You're set free from the power of sin. The old you is dead. Now, come on, come on, just be honest with yourself. If that is even remotely true, practically, why are we not? Christians should be the most, we should be sinless. In fact, when someone sinned, we should be shocked. Like, how did you sin? How could you? You're free from it. You're free from the power of it. The old nature is gone. But then we sin, sin, sin. So are we free or are we not free? Okay, wait, 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 wait. We got another paragraph. This is a deep Spiritual truth believers need to understand. Now, let me stop right here. Let me stop right here. Let me stop right here. Why do I need to understand it? Just let's think this through logically. Whether I understand it or not understand it, it's irrelevant because it's either a reality, it's not a reality. My understanding of the reality doesn't change anything. If I got saved, I should just wait all of a sudden realize something has happened. The old, the old desires are gone. I don't desire sin. It's gone. It's gone. All the old desires. So, so there's no more the things I want to do. I don't do and the things I don't want to do. I do that. That was the old life. The minute I became saved, boom, that's gone. Now, now it's gone. I don't need to understand it. You don't even have to teach it to me because literally the part of my nature has been completely Killed off. So is the problem? Well, Christians just don't understand it. I don't, I don't know if you have to teach someone that, right? They should immediately start experiencing it. Let, let's see what they say here. It's a simple reality, but easier said than lived out. Now, wait a minute. It's a simple reality, but it's easier said than lived out. Why should it be difficult living it out? 
The old nature is gone. What do I have to do? There's nothing I have to struggle with. I have nothing to struggle with. Literally, the old nature, if it's completely gone, then there's nothing for me to struggle with. Now, here we go. Now, I want you to hear this. Scripture teaches that unless enabled, our now dead sinful nature has no ability on its own to master and exploit us as it could prior to salvation. Now, that's what, what does it mean unless it's enabled? So our sinful nature is dead unless we enable it. So unless you go enable it, it has no power, has no ability to, to master or to exploit you. According to this, now, dun, 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 it can't do anything unless for some weird reason you wake up in the middle of the night and you go down to the basement where the dead body is and you're like, okay, okay, enabled. And then the next day you start sinning. Yeah, you, 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 it, it, the switch, I, it's so weird. Like it's just dead and it's like, it can't do anything to you now. Well, I... I don't know how sinlessness cannot be the result. Then it, that has to be the result. So the remedy they're giving to you is this. Jesus died for you. Yes. I don't even mention imputed. Just note, imputed righteousness or positional sanctification has not even been dealt with. And what are they dealing with? Practically, the old is dead and now you can do it. Unless, so they got to have, they got to, they got to keep an ace hidden up the sleeve. Well, if you start sinning, what's the problem? Well, come here. Come here, come here, come here. You know what the problem is? You keep enabling the sinful nature. And I would be, and I would whisper back, but I thought it was dead, but you enabled it. How can I enable something that's dead? Because you did, but you didn't tell me how I keep enabling it. Well, you watch bad movies and you listen to rock and roll. So you're telling me Netflix and Apple Music enables my sinful nature? Yes. If you won't watch Netflix and listen to music, your dead nature will never be enabled again. Well, you don't watch Netflix and you don't have an Apple Music subscription and you're an arrogant, self-righteous, condemning jerk. So what's your problem? Hey, you better back off and not talk to me that way. Sounds like you're getting angry. Shut up. No, what's your problem? No, what's your problem? Sounds like you still have a sinful nature because you enabled it. Oh, I enabled yours? I thought, yeah, okay, yeah, well, thank you, thank you, thank you, yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. That I'll be, I'll be performing at a local theater near you soon. All right, okay, all right, a little bit of humor there, but that, uh, what does it mean unless it's enabled? All right, hang on, Let, let's read the next part, let's read the next part, let's read the next part, all right? All right. I almost got so excited there. I almost snorted. Okay. All right. There we go. Here we go. Ready? Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. All right. Come on. I got no applause from my performance there. I got no, I mean, come on. That was like, that was Oscar winning performance there. I got, I got nothing. Nobody even said a thing in the chat. Nobody applauded. Nobody said, wow, you should just give up podcasting. You should become an actor immediately. Go to Hollywood. They're all on strike anyway. So you should be able to get a job. Okay. All right. All right, so one person laughed, okay? I'll be sending them a check for $50. All right, here we go. Here we go. 
Now, this is deadly serious, but it is, I'm almost mocking it because it's so ridiculous in my mind, right? It's so ridiculous, but here we go. Our old self has died. Once, once again, we keep, they keep repeating this, but please note, they've given themselves an out because you can enable it. We, we don't really know how we can enable it, but they've given themselves an out. It is crucified with Christ. Now, again, I do believe the old self is dead and it has been crucified with Christ in Christ. That is my positional standing. Practically, the, the old man is right there. The old nature is right there, alive and well. well let's see what they say. Rebellious impulses that formerly ruled our bodies have now been rendered powerless. So even the rebellious impulses are powerless. Why are you still, some of you, so rebellious? Why? Why are you, some of you, so rebellious? What is it? It's not coming from an internal impulse. What? What's the deal? What's the deal? See, if you listen to enough of this, I'm telling you, at some point, you'll start questioning your salvation. Hang on. Let's see where this goes. Debilitating desires. Debilitating desires. Attitudes and motivations can now be controlled and overruled. Now, debilitating desires, whatever desires you keep having over and over and over and over. uh, Yeah, debilitating desires. Attitudes, any attitudes you keep having, motivations can now be controlled and overruled. So if you're having a bad attitude, whether I don't care what the attitude is, if it's bitterness, anger, jealousy, you can overcome it. If you have wrong motivations, boom, you can overcome it. If you have debilitating desires, they can now be controlled and overruled. Being spiritually dead to sin, we can choose to be unresponsive to the powerful lure of sin to which we were previously enslaved. (laughs) I'm going to stop there because we're at 57 minutes. I want you to process that. I want you to process that. Now, that's the standard. This is not some radical, crazy, you know, out there fringe group. This coming to us from Lifeway. This is right there in the heart of evangelical Christianity. This is like, this is not some fringe something. This is the typical teaching that's happening in your church. And you may not even realize it. This is, I guarantee you, most of you go to churches that teach something very similar to this. I've heard it my whole Christian life. I've heard it in Southern Baptist churches. I've heard it in independent Baptist churches. I've heard it in all kinds of different denominations. All over Christian radio. This is standard Christianity 101. And whenever I call this into question, everyone loses their mind on me. Typically, they demonstrate that obviously something is wrong because then they start acting in a way that's not very godly. And I'm like, whoa, 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 back off, back off, back off. You better calm down. I don't know why you're acting that way because your your sinful nature is dead. And guess what? Uh, All of those rebellious impulses that formerly ruled you, they've been rendered powerless. 
and debilitating desires and attitudes and motivations, you can control and overrule. So I don't know why you're getting so mad and why you're talking to me that way and being so disrespectful and not showing any love to your enemy and you're not turning the other cheek because as soon as I provoke you a little bit, you only get a little bit more angry. In fact, what you're seemingly showing to me is that you're very much have a sinful nature. And then they get even more angry. But I'm like, you're just proving my point. The more you attack me and showing, not demonstrating a Christian attitude, then all you're proving to me is your sinful nature is very much there while you're yelling and screaming at me. It's not there. You, you idiot, you heretic, you moron. What do you, why would you teach this? And I just like, oh, come on, come on, come on, come on. Keep showing me. Come on. Keep showing me how you're dead to sin. Come on, come on. Keep proving it. Now, maybe I'm a little too provoking in that area. But it just, it's, to me, it cracks me up when they're demonstrating a complete lack of Christian attitude. And, it, but they're telling me, no, 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 we're dead to sin. We're alive to God. We, and I'm like, okay, well, you, you seem pretty angry about the situation. Now, if you want to believe that you're completely dead to sin and the sinful nature is completely now rendered powerless and now you have the ability to to know, to, to overcome de, uh, de, debilitating desires, attitudes, and motivations and you can control them and you can overrule them and you have this supernatural power, by all means, go ahead and convince yourself and live it out. And what I always tell people, don't argue with me, live it. Don't email me, live it. You go live in the supposed supernatural power you possess. You go live the supposed supernatural freedom. But all I ask you to do is every day compare your life to the holiness of God. Truly look into the holiness of God. Truly look at it and compare your thoughts and your desires and your actions and your motivations to it. And at some point, you're going to be like, what is wrong? Why? If, if this is true that all of this is dead, why do I keep having these problems? And I will just give you a little bit of te- a little, just a little tiny test. Do you love God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul? Oh, yeah, you don't, do you? Do you love your neighbor as yourself? Mm -hmm. Even if you do externally, I guarantee you're not internally. Are you holy as God is holy? No, I know you're not. So then where's the problem? Oh, you talk a big game? Let me talk to your family. Come on, you talk a big game. Why don't you go away and let me talk to your kids or your wife? When I get behind the curtain... Yeah, you're not as godly as you put out. You're not as godly as you put forth. You may have washed, cleaned up the cup really good on the outside, and you may have washed that tomb really good. But I tell you, there's some dead man bones inside of it. It's rotting because the the old man is still very much present. Your kids will will throw you under the bus and your spouse will throw you under the bus. I will say this dogmatically. What they describe there is not true of me. And you know what some people will say? Proves you were never saved. And I'm going to be like, no. Because everything you just described may not be true of me practically, but is true of me positionally. And my salvation is based off the imputed righteousness of Christ. So you can point all the fingers you want. You can judge. You can condemn. But my salvation is because of an imputed righteousness. And Christ is my righteousness and he is my sanctification. So in Christ, you're right. 
all of that is true. In practice, it is not true. Now, they said a lot based off simply these words. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin since a person who has died is freed from sin. They based all of that on those words and never bothered to even mention imputed righteousness positional sanctification and they didn't even bother to deal with the reality then why do people sin all the time now there's more here but we'll leave it till next time email me newsif at yahoo.com newsif at yahoo.com you're very welcome for my Oscar performing my Oscar Worthy performance. Is that how I should say that? All right. <laughs> Thanks for listening. I can I just feel like a, a, a quietness where I just know the disagreement is strong, right? There's a disturbance in the force. There is some strong disagreement. I feel it, I understand it. But t- listen. If you believe I'm wrong, you just go live out. You're supposed now free from the sinful nature and you can control everything. Go just go do it. Don't don't argue about it. Just live it. I I don't see how that's even we could even convince ourselves for a second that's true practically. But that's Christian Christianity 101. That's why we're going to continue to talk about sanctification. All right, email me, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. And I, I, if I messed up anything in there, I apologize. Now I'm thinking, did I mess up a word? I probably messed up something. So Because once again, when you look at the standard of perfection, I'm always going to fall short, even in podcasting. Remember how this whole series started? I tried to make play up on one word. Was it beleaguered, I think, or whatever the word was? And then I tried to use that as, see, I, I, can't, I didn't get the word right. And every episode, I don't get something right. Every episode, every episode, there's an imperfection. Every episode, there's something I do. That's how life is. You're, you constantly sin. You've got to be able to explain why you're constantly sinning if supposedly you now have complete power to overcome everything and all the power of that sin that used to be in you is completely gone and there's no sinful nature. You've got to be explained to me why you continue to sin. What's your explanation for it? All right. Email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. Everyone have a great day. God bless.